This is episode 10 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, November 16th, 2021. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Brian Bemrose. The monsoons have come to the Pacific Northwest. November is the first month of winter, marked by storm after storm of dancing trees and heavy sideways rain. I've raked more leaves and shoveled more drainage ditches this week than any out-of-shape 40-year-old should. But that's the price of staying ahead of the flood, I suppose. But you're not here to find out about the weather. As the famous DJ 3Dog once said, Are you hungry for some 200-year-old Salisbury steak? Or are you hungry for some news? I'm guessing news. From the Undersupplied Markets Department, The Verge reports that the world's first iPhone X with a USB-C connector has sold for over $86,000. Last month, Swiss robotics engineer Ken Pillanel reverse-engineered Apple's lightning port and created a prototype iPhone X with a USB-C connector in its place. The phone can reportedly charge and transfer data at full speed using the connector, putting to lie Apple's claims that their proprietary connector is needed for anything other than vendor lock-in. Last week, Pillanel put his prototype up for auction on eBay at a starting price of $1. The final sale price was $86,001, just slightly more than Apple charges for their model without the standardized connector. Pillanel also published a GitHub project with detailed CNC and 3D printer instructions should you decide that you want to order the printed PCB and create one for yourself. The link will be in the show notes at angrytechnews.com. From the Zombie Suffrage Department, Activision is taking heat for a map in Call of Duty Vanguard the latest game in their annual parade of cloned cookie-cutter military shooters that continue to sell despite not having made a good game since 2007. Reportedly, one of the maps in Vanguard's Zombies mode contained some pages of the Quran, torn out and scattered on the ground amidst thousands of other unnoticed pieces of map clutter. Someone on Twitter took offense, because taking offense is what people on Twitter do, Activision bowed to political correctness and released a hotfix which removes the pages of the map, because bowing to political correctness is what giant woke corporations do. As for why a World War II-themed game series that prides itself on authentic weapons and uniforms and realistic period-based combat would have players fighting zombies, the answer is also political correctness. Zombies were added to the Call of Duty franchise after complaints from modern-day Nazis who objected that the wholesale killing of Nazis in a video game could encourage the real-life killing of people who behave exactly like Nazis in places like Portland, Oregon, or Kenosha, Wisconsin. A spokesperson for the zombie lobby on Twitter was unable to comment for this story, but should the wholesale killing of zombies become politically incorrect, Activision has plans, according to unnamed sources, to introduce a mode where players shoot at conservatives, white people, and the unvaccinated, all groups who have already been banned from Twitter and thus cannot complain. From the Fear for Your CPUs department, in 
Intel has released almost no technical details about a high severity BIOS vulnerability in several of their processors, which, if successfully exploited, could result in an escalation of privilege for an attacker with physical access to the machine, such as a laptop thief. The company encourages people to update the BIOS on affected processors as soon as possible. While this may be easier said than done, notes Bleeping Computer, since some of these processors are more than five years old and the average motherboard vendor generally only supports a BIOS for about 12 seconds until the next generation of processors comes out. For users unable to update their BIOS, the company recommends setting a strong password that will be forgotten the next time you need to access your BIOS settings. This type of zero information update strategy takes a cue from large OS vendors who also refuse to publish a change log or patch details and instead insist that you take all of their updates immediately relying on a blind trust on the part of consumers that can only come from years of ignoring experience and the assurance that this time there are absolutely no bugs in the patch and this time we really actually totally got it right for reals this time. The list of affected processors will be in the show notes. From the who did you think they were working for department, YouTube has removed the downvote count on their videos, making it no longer possible to tell how many people disliked a particular video. There are no shortage of theories on why this happened, many claiming censorship is the cause, such as Google trying to prop up one wildly disliked video or another. But there's a simpler explanation. Advertisers don't like negativity, and YouTube's customers are their advertisers, not you. If a million people watch a video and download it, a million people still watched it and watched the ads on that video. Cha-ching! That's money in the bank for Google. But the next million people won't watch the video if there's now a million downvotes on it. Remove the downvotes, you remove the memory of the bad content. And the next million will also watch the ads. And the next. And the next. Honestly, this really isn't a story. I only mention it because I'm tired of people acting all shocked and surprised that YouTube is doing something scummy. You all seem to have the memory of goldfish, constantly just as surprised that YouTube did something user hostile as you are by that plastic castle in the bottom of the aquarium. The market solution to this is for people to abandon YouTube. There are dozens of alternatives. If you stay there, you really don't have any right to act surprised at the things they do. From the Lazing Fricker Beams Department. Seattle-based Carbon Robotics has introduced a new industrial device for farmers to control weeds. The company's autonomous laser weeder is a five-ton diesel-powered self-driving tractor about the size of an SUV with an array of lamps, high-resolution cameras, and 150-watt CO2 lasers on the bottom. The device drives along a field at 5 miles per hour, scanning the ground underneath and feeding the images into a rugged onboard supercomputer, which uses machine learning to identify invasive weeds in milliseconds. Anything the computer identifies as a weed is zapped with the laser to cook and destroy its main stem. The company says the laser weeder can patrol 15 to 20 acres per day, can operate day and night, though one assumes it'll probably need to come in periodically to acquire more diesel. The laser weeder has been certified for organic food production by the Washington State Department of Agriculture and represents a very cool way to raise crops without chemicals or GMO seeds. One of the biggest challenges in green farming is managing pests and weeds, the very problems which originally led to widespread use of chemicals. 
The use of heat instead of chemicals is a great green trade-off. Controlling weeds by burning is a common technique often employed by equipping a farmhand with a propane torch. Lasers are just the next step. As a side note, I think the device might be more green if it was solar-powered and not diesel-powered, but this can be forgiven. The company is based in Seattle, and its employees are unlikely to have ever actually seen the sun. If this technology works, it could pave the way for much larger-scale organic farming than can be done today. But there's the rub, if the technology works. The hard part is getting a computer to be able to accurately identify what is a weed and what is a crop, and that's where Carbon Robotics' site is extremely short on detail. They say it's run by artificial intelligence powered by NVIDIA GPUs, but no details beyond that. Depending on who you talk to, machine learning and artificial intelligence are at best black magic voodoo, and at worst, marketing terms used only to separate venture capitalists from their investment funds. Even the best algorithms are far from perfect, and machine learning is only as good as its training set. Maybe we can all look forward to CAPTCHAs requiring us to identify all of the squares with weeds before we can log into websites. Will Carbon Robotics Autonomous Laser Weeder work? Will it be able to accurately tell a crop, defined as whatever plant you want to grow, from a weed, defined as any other plant, including last season's crops? How will it contend with the changes in lighting conditions with wind or dust or rain or any of the other things that occur in agriculture and can mess up optics? Will the founders of the company be assassinated by elite Monsanto or Bayer hit squads? I don't know, but these are important questions. It's a hard problem that I hope this company or the next company can solve. Most of the topics I cover on this show are pretty unimportant in the grand scheme. Social networks, electric cars, video games, military lasers, we can all live without. In fact, we might even live better without with less military lasers. I'm not sure. But food is important. This is the sort of technology that can revolutionize how we get our food. No closing cynicism here. I'm just excited by the idea. And from the Some Chargers Are More Super Than Others department, Tesla is opening up a tiny sliver of their Level 3 supercharger network to other electric vehicles. As of November 1st, owners of non-Tesla EVs who live in the Netherlands will be allowed to charge at a grand total of 10 stations in the pilot program. Members of the non-Tesla lower caste will need to sacrifice a phone to the Tesla app and choose the option Charge Your Non-Tesla, which, despite being text, is somehow presented in Elon's voice with the same inflection as if one were inviting the farm animals to Christmas dinner. Residents of other countries, including other EU countries, are not invited, even if visiting the Netherlands, presumably because that might harm their hard-fought air of exclusivity. During the pilot program, the company will be monitoring congestion and listening to customers about their experiences. If everything goes well, they may even expand to other EU countries. If you're in North America and wondering when you'll be able to connect your filthy lower-class non-Tesla EV to a supercharger, don't hold your breath. The reason this is possible in Europe is because the EU mandates the IEC Type 2 charging connectors for all electric vehicles. No such governmental mandate exists in the U.S. or Canada, and while all other companies seem to have settled on the J1772 connector, Tesla, following the Apple model of doing business, continues to use its own proprietary connector in North America. Fortunately, there is a solution for you dirty plebeians, as long as you don't have anywhere to be soon. General Motors has announced plans to install 40,000 EV stations under their Ultium brand in the U.S. and Canada ahead of their next wave of GM electric vehicles which start production in 2022, 
although of course the company is quick to remind you you can reserve one now. The company is partnering with their large network of dealerships to select key locations, and the stations will offer level 2 charging at 11 kilowatts or 48 amps, or their premium charging stations at 19 kilowatts and 80 amps. While level 2 charging, which takes about an hour to charge for every hour on the road, pales in comparison to Tesla's 72 kilowatt minimum, it's still a far sight better than running an extension cord from a wall outlet, so count your blessings. Using dealerships as charging statements makes sense because 90% of Americans live within 10 miles of a GM dealership, the company says, but also because it makes the feeling of money draining from your wallet feel that much more familiar. GM points out that these stations will be available to all EV owners, not just GM owners, and that their Ultium charging network is already integrated with other networks. All you have to do is sacrifice your phone to their app. I want to thank Donald DeHart for being the executive producer for this episode. Angry Tech News is released on the value for value model. We don't take advertising and we don't charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations, which have been pretty damn poor in the last two weeks. A number of you are subscribed for monthly amounts, which are greatly appreciated. To the rest of you, are you slacking off or is it me? If it's me, please send me a note to Ryan at angrytechnews.com to tell me how I can make the show better. Feedback is the only way I can improve. As always, if you got value out of listening to this show, please send value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click the donate button to make a one-time or recurring PayPal donation. Whatever you think this show has been worth to you, $5, $25, $500 or more. And if you're short on cash this month, I understand that too. You can still add value to the show by telling someone else about it. Word of mouth is the only truly authentic form of marketing, and it's how people find out about Angry Tech News. If you know somebody who wants some tech news with equal doses of opinion, comedy, and cynicism, all in a short 20-minute package, turn them on to this show. It doesn't cost you anything, and they might just like it. That's it for me. My name is Ryan Bemrose, the Angry Programmer. Tune in next week for more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the Angry Programmer, Ryan Bemrose, at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry, stay angry, stay 